This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, discuss some big new announcements from E3, that's about it really, and more. Stay tuned for a very special E3 adjacent episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and if you don't know by now, you're streets behind. I'm Jason Simmons, and I'm here to present the TBM E3 Showcase. We have nothing. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I'm a highway star. Ladies and gentlemen, it is finally here. Five years since the last game. Eight years since the last game that actually matters. Ratchet and Clank. They're both back, and they brought along some new friends. Now, this game's made by Insomniac, which are some of the big the big boys in the world of video games. They brought us Spider-Man. The other Spider-Man. Um The other Ratchet and Clank games. <laughs> Maybe that's enough. Oh, Sunset Overdrive. So this new game. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. It is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It is the 12th game in the Ratchet and Clank series. And it is following up some big, big games. Some of my all-time favorites. We're talking Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank Going Commando. Ratchet and Clank Up Your Arsenal. Ratchet Deadlocked. Ratchet and Clank Future Tools of Destruction. Ratchet and Clank Future Quest for Booty. Ratchet and Clank Future, A Crack in Time. Ratchet and Clank, All for One. Ratchet and Clank, Full Frontal Assault. Ratchet and Clank, Into the Nexus. And, most recently, Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank, All for One is personally one of my favorite boy bands of all time. (laughs) Yeah. So, in recent years, the good people at Insomniac dropped their particular naming conventions for the series we no longer have hit titles like going commando and up your arsenal but that doesn't mean that this game has gone soft now not only is this a storied series with tons and tons and tons of great games backing it up it's also got some really really great talented people working on it including the voice cast you know, we got James Arnold Taylor back as Ratchet, David Kay back as Clank, and most notably, new superstar Jennifer Hale as Rivet. Now, this is Rivet's game. Ratchet and Clank can get out the way. This is all about Rivet's journey. But Jackson, I want you to give us the rundown on who Ratchet and Clank are first and how we got here. Well, Ratchet and Clank are a formidable superhero duo in their universe uh ratchet he's the last of the lombaxes he is a uh i actually i don't know what like the whole thing he does before he becomes a superhero is he's a mechanic Uh, he's he's a mechanic yeah yeah he's a mechanic that's why he's got a big a big wrench (laughs) um 
Clink is a defected warbot, which are, um, you know, bad robots made by, I think, Nefarious. Uh, again, I haven't played previous games, so not entirely sure. Okay, so let me give a little bit of feedback, or a little bit of insight there. Clank is a defective warbot made by the Gadgetron Corporation. Gadgetron were the bad guys in the first couple of Ratchet and Clank games. We now know that, thanks to the game uh, Future A Crack in Time, that Clank was actually intentionally defective as part of this big prophecy of sorts to go on and save the world many times over. <laughs> so he is defective, but on purpose, but not by the people that made him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's technically not even really defective because he has the soul of a Zoni inside of him. I think that's what they landed on. And that the Zoni right. are like time traveling aliens. Yeah. This series gets wild, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I should mention the only other Ratchet and Clank game I have played is the 2016 one. But, anyways, that's who Ratchet and Clank are. Rift Apart is about how Clank, who got the Dimensionator, which, as I'm told, is a gun that was in previous games it uh makes rifts between dimensions and clink uh gives it to ratchet so they can go find the remaining lombaxes out in the universe but oh no nefarious shows up and he takes it and kind of starts to break the universe and that leads ratchet and clink to the vi- to visit another world which leads them to meet rivet and that is how it starts couple of key details just for context this evil Dr. Nefarious, he's fought with Ratchet and Clank several times, going all the way back to up your arsenal. The Dimensionator, a weapon that's used to travel between dimensions, was used by the Lombaxes to escape their dimension and go to one where they are not under a constant threat. Ratchet, as far as he is aware, is the only remaining Lombax in his dimension, but he has a way of finding the Lombaxes in the other dimensions. The last remaining Lombax thing is kind of weird, too, because in one of the previous Ratchet and Clank games, he meets another Lombax named Angela, and, like, she she exists, like, they still mention her in Easter eggs and stuff like that, but then they'll also, in the same game, just be like, Ratchet's the last one. Well, and, like, there's clearly some, I guess, retconning is a word here as we get further into the series. But, essentially, there are probably other Lombaxes aside from just the ones we've seen in the series, somewhere out there in in their universe. It's just, Ratchet doesn't know where they are and has never met them. But he knows that there is a large number of Lombaxes altogether in some other dimension. And this game takes place in a new dimension, not previously in the series, where Rivet's dimension, where essentially she fills the same role that Ratchet did in his dimension. The only difference is that the Dr. Nefarious from this second dimension is actually competent and a good villain. (laughs) So, like, he's actually succeeded before, whereas the Dr. Nefarious from Ratchet and Clank's dimension is kind of a bumbling idiot. Do you think that the the Dr. Nefarious in Rivet's dimension was also bullied by the Captain Quark of his dimension? (laughs) Sounds right. Sounds right. I'd like to think that his entire his entire uh, background's exactly the same. It's just he is actually like kind of smart. <laughs> After hearing this little bit that you guys have said about previous games, 
There is so little I know about this series. <laughs> and that's fine, because this, as a self-contained game, still gives you everything you need. It, you know, there are still little hints and things to previous games in the series, but it's this is a self-contained story pretty much all the way through. Yeah, throughout the game, like, there would be a few things that would be like, oh, I don't know much about this, like, some of the, um, new dimension, the new, uh, dimension variants of some characters, and I'd have to, like, look up who that is, but for the most part, like, you don't really need to play previous games to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's enough. Let's get into this review. Jason, why don't you kick us off? I really liked Into the- uh, (laughs) I really liked Into the Nexus. I thought it was a little short, but, uh... Oh, anyways, we're talking about Rift Apart now? Uh, like, like I was trying to say, I, I really like Rift Apart. Um, I think the, the new characters that they've introduced are all really interesting. I think they've done better than I would say they did in previous games, barring maybe the 2016 Ratchet and Clank, at really uh, fleshing out and giving character to a lot of the people in the game. It feels like, especially with Rivet, where she's a new character, that they spent a lot of time just trying to establish, like, where this character is emotionally, and, like, mm-hmm. why does she do the things she does? Which I I think is really interesting, and Insomniac's really been knocking it out of the park with that kind of stuff. Uh, but honestly, even including, like, the Spider-Man games, I would say Rivet's probably one of the better written characters that they've put out in a long time. Yeah. Maybe ever. Yeah, like I joked about it at the beginning when I said this was like like her story, but I mean for real, she is the motivating factor for this entire game, and that's not a bad thing. Like yeah, it takes away some screen time from Ratchet and Clank, but she is such a good, well-motivated, well-realized character that I am totally on board with her being the center of attention for most of it. It's kind of the only real complaint that I have, or that I've even, like, seen online people talking about the game with Rivet, is just that when you're playing as Rivet, you have the exact same guns, the exact same moveset, and everything is Ratchet, which feels like a, a missed opportunity. I mean, you create they created a character that's so unique, like, personality-wise, from Ratchet. I mean, they're, they may be interdimensional counterparts of each other, but they're extremely different personality-wise and experience-wise. And then when you're playing as them, really the only way to tell who's who is that one has a robot arm. <laughs> yeah, there is. there are probably a few two similarities between the two. I think that that is something that we will probably see rectified in future games. I would be shocked if they are dual protagonists again in the future and they are not much more distinct in how they actually play. But yeah, like you might, they might look and sound different, but gameplay mechanics wise they are exactly the same yeah and kind of moving on from characters beyond that i also thought that the 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 new worlds that they've shown are much more varied than what you would see in the other games and especially uh once you get the hover boots they really open up a lot of the worlds to where they're i there's definitely a lot more to explore on each individual planet and kind of more varied environments between the different planets yeah, and some of the planets had like kind of special features, like the one with the um the rocket boots. They were that was a pretty big open map compared to previous maps in the game and uh, like the 2016 game. And then there were some maps that were like very linear, but uh, I don't want to spoil why one particular map is very linear because I think it is really cool when you come across what it is. Yeah, 
like like he said though there's different mechanics with the different worlds uh the hover boots world when you get there it's definitely like spread out everything's kind of further apart and it's wide open so you can really get up to speed uh and then there are some planets that have low gravity or a special vehicle that you have to ride around i think that this is by far the best level design the series has had and that's really saying something because i think that's always been a strong suit of the series but there is so much depth and so much personality to every single location in this game that it really goes above and beyond. Like, I think, like, you can just spend time walking around the levels, just looking at everything in the world, and you'll be constantly noticing just little details or little ways they switch up one section versus the other. A really good example of this is in the very first world like true open exploration world it's this massive city and you can just walk over the edge of a platform and look around and they have designed the city like as far as you can see like even just the background environments have so much detail in them and still look like explorable locations even if you can't actually get to them like there is just so much detail put into everything about these levels and it really, really pays off. Like, it makes it feel like each one is very, very distinct in a very unique and interesting way. And then beyond that, there's the rifts that you can open up in most... I think every map has at least a couple. And when you go into the rift, it transports you to, like, a pocket dimension. And the transition between the two is... For one, it's instant. Like, as soon as you walk through the rift, you're in a completely different area. And, like, you can look through the rift and see where you previously were or, you know, see the the pocket dimension before you go in. It's really incredible what they've managed to do with the SSD on the PS5. There's a bunch of those rifts throughout the game, and every single time I go through them, I'm still just amazed at how seamless the transition is. Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different world coming in around you instantly. It's also interesting, um, one of the mechanics is rifts that you can warp to, like, in world that like just transport you to where they are and it kind of just pulls the scene to you not you to it and the transition from that is also really cool it's a really cool feature but i always felt like there were very few opportunities where it really felt like the best option for me when i was in combat yeah i will say in combat it's not very good like there's a there's a lot of times where you'll have to use it to get to a platform, but usually in combat it's honestly not good to use because you can still be hit while you're tethering to it. Yeah, and once you've started your tether animation, you're locked into it. So if you go to tether something and then you see a shot coming at you, you can't do anything about it. You just got to take it. Hope you get out of the way in time. Uh, I mean, they added an additional dodge mechanic, which I think really helps the combat. Um, that might honestly be the best addition in the game, <laughs> like just yeah. gameplay wise. Like I think that elevates everything. First off, you've always had the strafing and jumping in the series uh, to get away from attacks, and staying mobile is honestly the best way to survive any combat encounter in the series. But with the new dodges, one, it's made it to where they can make the combat faster paced. Like I feel like there's more bullets on screen at any given time in this game than in previous games, and you're definitely better equipped to handle it than you would have been previously. You can be way more aggressive in this game than previous ones, which I think is awesome considering how high energy the combat is now. I think the series has always had great combat, but it's always been a little kind of hit and run 
ish to an extent or just staying kind of at one set distance and running and strafing and stuff where this one you can really get in and out of combat or just get right in the thick of it and stay there and just dodge through things like i think it's it has such a good flow to it and i think that you're right the rift thing is a sort of a misstep because it doesn't flow super well with the rest of it but everything else about combat is the most just outright fun i think the series has been well, another major kind of addition they've made to the traversal in the game is there are panels that you can like wall run on. Uh, and I, I think those are always really interesting. And when you're in a combat arena that includes like a panel you can run on, I think it's really easy to kind of work into your, your normal movement as you're fighting. Absolutely. I, uh, I was a little worried at first thinking like the wall running was going to be kind of cheesy because you can only wall run on this one very specific type of platform. But it's actually incorporated super well, and I think it it really fits the momentum of it just about every time you either have to do it or even just can in the middle of a fight. I do feel like it's a little underused. You'll see it like during movement set pieces a lot. Yeah. Uh, like there's a scene where you're they they showed it off in the trailer, so I don't feel too bad talking about it. The, there's a scene where you're like trying to escape from a giant robot that's attacking you. And you'll see, you know, plenty of wall running segments there. But then, you know, the rest of the game, you might see one or two of those, uh, you know, one or two walls that you can actually wall run on in the course of like an hour, <laughs> you know? And I think that if I had to pick one specific complaint about this game compared to previous games in the series, it would probably be that this one is the most like action set piece oriented. Which isn't inherently bad, but it means that once you have sort of played out the story chunk of a world, it's not as interesting like when you go back. Like a lot less enemies spawn, they're not in as interesting of like formations, they do less interesting tactics. I mean, it's still great. Like The worlds are just cool enough that just running around them is still a ton of fun. But I think that your first time through a level you're going to see these really cool and dynamic fights, and then when you go back, it's just not going to have that level. Luckily, the game has a new game plus, so... Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's really just when you're going back for collectibles that you don't see those high-action scenes again. But what were you saying, Jackson? Right. There, there was one planet in particular, um, the one I mentioned earlier, that was pretty linear, that had a pretty cool element to it uh, that I'm, again, not going to spoil, but going back to collect collectibles in that mission was absolute garbage oh i know which one you're talking about now then <laughs> yeah the mission design when you're playing through it for the story awesome my favorite level in the entire entire game going back through it for collectibles honestly made me want to turn the game off at some point it's just a lot of long corridors and not a lot of things happening. it's by far the most linear designed level in the game that being said very very cool the first time through I do think the level design in this game is, uh, what's the opposite of inspired by <laughs> with their work on Spider-Man? I, I feel like while they're working on the Spider-Man games, they were so uh, limited on what they could really do with an individual level, uh, and everything had to be grounded in reality. And I feel like a lot of this game was kind of taking the pent-up creativity that they had from working on that stuff. And just being like, okay, well now we can ignore the laws of physics. What can we do with a level? <laughs> yeah. And they, they create some really interesting stuff, like transporting between dimensions, mid-level, stuff like that. 
Now speaking of not having to adhere to the laws of physics, those new weapons are crazy, y'all. <laughs> like, definitely the coolest new weapons the series has ever introduced. And some of them are totally insane, but in really, really cool ways. We mentioned it a little bit when we were just talking about it. Like, there's this weapon, which is a... Uh, it's the topiary sprinkler. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So the topiary sprinkler is a grenade that you throw out. It turns into a sprinkler, like to water yards. But when it sprays an enemy, they just are covered in bushes and flowers and just general, you know, topiary arrangements. <laughs> and they're just totally immobile. So you'll just throw one out in the middle of battle and suddenly all the enemies are covered in leaves and flowers and can't move and are more susceptible to damage. And it's it's cool every single time. The best part about it is it works on bosses too. Yeah. So you'll yeah. be fighting like just an absolutely ginormous robot and you'll throw that out and then it gets shot for like a second and suddenly this huge robot that takes up like your whole screen is completely covered in green foliage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was probably my favorite weapon in the entire game. Uh, I would just throw that out and then get the uh, whatever the the bombs were called, just like the basic bombs, whatever they were called, and I would just start launching them at the enemy. They brought back a lot of really good weapons from previous games too, like the the warmonger, or uh, I want to think, I feel like the ricochet has been a previous game, but I might be misremembering. That sounds right. The Buzzblades are historically my favorite weapon in the series, but they're kind of a bummer in this one. I mean, still cool, but they're not as like ridiculous as they were in some of the previous ones. Uh, a weapon that I didn't use in previous games that I used a lot in this one was the uh, the Glove of Doom. Yeah. The one that throws out a little mime that spawns like four or five robots <laughs> that'll all just go and attack enemies for you. Uh, I was talking to Jordan about this, but... During one of the arenas, it's a mystery ammo, uh, mystery gun uh, arena. I mean, and yeah. one of the one of the guns is the glove of doom, and you get infinite ammo during this, so you can just keep throwing those out the entire time to the point where they'll be there, like when the next when you're given your next weapon, and uh, to progress you have to get kills with whatever the weapon is. So then you just can't get kills with the next weapon because the glove of doom bots are still killing the enemies. <laughs> When I did it, uh, the Glove of Doom ended up being the last gun I got. Me too, so, actually. Yeah, yeah, there were just like 30 of those little agents <laughs> running around still while I was watching the cutscene. But yeah, weapons are just, they're crazy. They've always been in the series, but I think that this, this game has a couple of new ones that are just on a totally different level. Now, one thing that I've kind of, I, I haven't necessarily agreed with all the reviews is I've, I've heard a lot of the game, a lot of the critics and things say this is a very funny game, and it's not that there aren't, you know, like, cute and charming moments, but I wouldn't really describe it as funny, necessarily. I mean, maybe when you've been playing, like, God of War, The Last of Us 2, I mean, yeah. if, if we're talking, like, other PlayStation exclusives, I think a lot of them have a very serious tone. True. And while Ratchet and Clank, I don't really think it. I don't think there is anything in it that I would consider to be. I, I mean, there are individual moments, but the game as a whole, I don't really consider to be that funny. I think just the lightheartedness of the tone probably makes it seem more humorous compared to you know the other big games that have released recently. Now that being said, I think this is the best story that the series has ever had. Like I think that 
narratively, this one is honestly pretty far ahead of the rest of the series. But I just, I didn't, re- the, the humor didn't really strike me as something that was important or as good as they made it out to be. I mean, still, like, really great tone, very endearing the whole way through, but just humor wasn't really something that was on my radar, like a lot of other reviewers seem to seem to mention. It gets very emotional at times, too. It does. Especially when talking about, like, character backstories, especially, like, Rivets and another new characters that I can that gets introduced like a third of the way through. I won't uh, spoil them yet. <laughs> yeah, there. So there are other dimension versions of characters, as Jackson mentioned at the beginning, and Rivet, sort of the big being the big one that's been all over the promotional material ever since the game was initially announced. There is another character that is very very important to the story who is not in any of the promotional material, so I won't get into it. But I think that what this character brings to the series is just excellent across the board. I think it opened up some of the best moments, some of the best emotional moments in the series. Okay, well, that's a lot of Ratchet and Clank talk, but gotta give it a score. So Jackson, why don't you wrap it up for us with your pros and your cons and and your overall. Pros. Extremely good story with a lot of character depth and emotional storytelling to it, which as they have said that I didn't really know about other games in the series were not like this. The, the, you know, the whole point of the game is you have tons of weapons to use. And I really love almost every single weapon. There's a few that aren't too good, like the buzz blades, but for the most part, they all get the job done and they do, they're just really fun and cool. New characters are really good additions to the story that I really hope stick around for a while. The new worlds are very interesting. And even the ones that like, you know, as I said earlier, um, not really great to go back to, are very good the first time through, and I'd love to see more of that in future games. And there's not any cons that I have with this game at all. The entire time I played it, I just wanted to play more and more, and now that I'm out of school, and I'm just home all the time, um, I spent like, I I could spend like five hours a day playing this at some points. So, yeah, uh, overall, 10 out of 10. Great game. Yeah. I mean, I've been a fan of the series ever since. I think the first one I played was Up Your Arsenal, maybe going Commando. So I've been playing the Ratchet and Clank games basically since not long after the first one came out, you know? So I've really kind of grown up with these characters. I've gotten to kind of go on a whole bunch of adventures with them. And Rift Apart really feels like kind of the apex of the writing for the series. Uh, Ever since Future... Uh, with Tools of Destruction, it's kind of seemed like story's been a bigger focus on the series. And beyond, between that and just, you can tell that they've really upped their writing chops, uh, writing for Spider-Man and Miles Morales. Uh, they've really gotten a chance to kind of work with characters and kind of facilitate growth between them. <laughs> Trying to make this not... I That kind of sounds weird <laughs> when I say it out loud, but... <laughs> Basically, they've had a lot of time to really flex their character writing muscles, and it shows, especially with the relationships between Ratchet and Clank, Rivet and Clank, and Rivet and Ratchet. It's really some incredible storytelling that goes on in the game. The combat, with the addition of the new dodge mechanic, feels better than ever. You know, uh, there's so much more you can do on a battlefield at any given time. Yeah, like Jackson said, I don't really have many cons for it. If I could say one thing, it's just to echo what I said earlier, and what a lot of people have been saying, is that Rivet should feel more like a unique character from Ratchet, 
and I hope if they... I assume they're going to continue with Rivet in future games. I hope that they'll kind of give her a more unique moveset, uh, or even just you know make her the focus of a game, so it doesn't really feel like he's competing with Ratchet as much, too. Although, in this game, it feels more like Ratchet's competing with her. <laughs> Overall, I, I think I'll give the game uh, a 9.5. I mean, it makes excellent use of the PS5 hardware, something we didn't really talk about too much on top of you know, how great of a game it is to begin with. It really kind of shows off what we can expect to see from future PS5 titles, I think. For me, I think that Ratchet & Clank series isn't my absolute favorite game series or anything, but I think it probably is the most consistent game series that there might have ever been. I think that every single game in the series provides something new and different, but it still keeps expanding upon what was already established. And even some of the weird ones like All for One and Full Frontal Assault were still really fun games, even if they didn't necessarily hit all the marks that some of the more traditional ones did. Now, I kind of knew like going into this game it was going to be big. Like it was going to be something really exciting, and it's by far the most most hyped up I've been about a game prior to launch in a very, very long time, because I knew what this series can do. And the entire time playing it, like, I was just so excited, and, it, like, it's it's just such a happy game, and it's so, there's just so much there that's just great across the board. What I kept kind of drawing comparisons to while I was trying to think of how I want to review this was Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, because a lot of game reviewers and journalists and things came out and gave it perfect scores, and a lot of people that were sort of more critical of the game, I don't know anyone that disliked it, but people that were more critical of the game came and said, how can you say this game is perfect? You know, it has this weapon system, which is kind of wonky. Some of the collectibles are just random. And I heard it described really well as Breath of the Wild isn't a perfect game. It is a perfect Legend of Zelda experience. And I think in the exact same way, it's not that Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart is perfect, but it is the perfect Ratchet & Clank game. I think literally from the minute it starts until it ends, it exudes that energy and that just outright joy that the series has really driven home since the very beginning. Incredible new characters with a ton of depth. Worlds that are bigger and more ambitious than ever before. Combat has this new level of excitement to it it's never really had. All the weapons are fantastic. Even the ones that are hard to use still like have a really unique place in combat. It's the best the story's ever been in the game. It's just across the board this game knocks it out of the park. Like not only is it like the first thing I am giving a 10 out of 10 to on this podcast, it is the most confident I have ever been in a score on this podcast. Like this game was everything I wanted it to be. Well, there you have it. You know what? Before I before I go into that, I, I do just want to say that I, I definitely agree. I don't think that a 10 out of 10 game needs to be a perfect game. And I don't even necessarily think it needs to be perfect by any kind of stretch. I think a perfect game, or a 10 out of 10 game, is just a game that you fully enjoy all the way through. You know? Where your complaints are far outweighed by your pros for the game you know but anyways our final score for the game 9.8 hooray we ended on 
a not repeating number. Oh, sorry. It's a 9.83 continuing. Ah, well. Hey, that's pretty dang good. <laughs> I think that makes it the highest rated thing that we've done on the podcast, other than Space Jam, which technically <laughs> exceeded the o- our own reviewing standards. I believe Space Jam had somewhere in the 300s, so... Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart has a long way to go before it can ever be a space jam. <laughs> well, it's that time of year again. E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, or whatever they call it. This year we had some wild announcements from a lot of different people, although maybe not quite as wild as many people were hoping for. <laughs> Some might say incredibly lackluster across the board. There were like a dozen different conferences from all kinds of different studios from all over the world. Uh, But I think the way we'll start it off is by talking about the first event, Summer Games Fest. Jordan, I'm going to throw it over to you to kind of talk about that. While I did say that E3 was a bit lackluster across the board, I think Summer Games Fest really hit the ground running, specifically... With that Elden Ring announcement, which we talked about last week, I think that that's one of those games that has everybody just sort of in overdrive. And I think there was a lot of people that were like, wow, they're going to announce this at the first event? I can't wait to see what E3 has has behind, you know. There was nothing. <laughs> I mean, like, don't be wrong, there were other cool announcements, but I, I honestly think for a lot of people, Elden Ring was the peak, and it didn't even really come close the rest of the time through. I thought it was cool during Summer Games Fest when they uh, had Hideo Kojima up there to speak. They had plenty of dev interviews throughout E3, but none of them really came from superstar devs like Kojima. Maybe that's just because these days there really aren't any superstar devs like Kojima. (laughs) That's true, that's true. And it was cool, like, he, he was up there talking about, like, the Death Stranding Director's Cut, which is coming to PS5. We got some other announcements, like Jurassic Park Evolution 2. Metal Slug Tactics, um, and some games that people have had their eyes on, like uh, Sable got a release date, Tales of Arise finally has some like legit gameplay, new updates for that hit game Among Us. <laughs> I mean, like there was, there were a lot of little things, but I think really the highlights of Summer Game Fest were, of course, Elden Ring, like no questions asked. Uh, Vampire, The Masquerade, Blood Hunt, which is a new battle royale. It's going to be set in the vampire world, which has a lot of promise. It's a very dark and serious, but at the same time, very like fascinating and unique environment. And like the whole world is really drawn a lot of attention from a lot of different people. Yeah, I really like Bloodlines. So there's definitely a lot of unique stuff that's in the Vampire Masquerade games that I'm kind of excited to see. How it translates? I'm not very excited for a Battle Royale game, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not the Battle Royales are bad or anything. Like, I really love a couple of them, but it's just, it's such a saturated market, and a lot of them lately, a lot of the new ones just haven't really offered anything too unique. That said, but... this one has superpowers, so maybe it'll be more interesting. I feel like everyone else that makes a Battle Royale is just like, uh, throw guns in it, it's good. Although, there's actually, I believe there's a couple of Battle Royale games announced at E3, and most of them were melee-focused. Yeah. They, they, there was definitely a clear, a clear focus on how can we jump into this Battle Royale, but still capitalize 
on this really unique combat style that the series is, that the, the genre is known for, but also not be this absolutely insane thing that you know, like Fall Guys is. <laughs> so there were a couple of a couple of battle royales that are a little more up close and personal in style than some of the other ones. But yeah, Vampire on the way, definitely one I'll at least check out. It's supposed to be coming this year. <laughs> we'll see. Um, we also got to see a little bit more of Evil Dead the game, one of the few licensed games that I think people have actually cared about in a very long time. Um, Bruce Campbell was there to talk about it himself. It seems like we're probably going to have a lot of inspiration from all of the movies. There's going to be characters from each of them that are going to have their own roles in it. It's going to be co-op slashing zombies with friends. And this kind of show, there's even going to be some level of being the zombies yourself and fighting back against people. But it seems like a pretty cool game. Again, it is a licensed game. So, like the possibility of garbage is still high. I mean, I think the Evil Dead is a pretty wild uh, license to get anyways. I don't think that in, you know, 2021, someone's going to be picking up or the Evil Dead license just to make a, you know, bland game. Uh, other than the TV series, which I don't think is on the air anymore. I, I mean, there's not like there's a lot of Evil Dead content coming out right now. Uh, in terms of the multiplayer, I think... From what I saw, it looked like there was just one, like, demon knight guy that the you could play as. It, it was like four-player co-op with all characters from the movies. And then on top of that, there was some demon knight. Uh, and I haven't seen the Evil Dead movies in quite a while, so I, he's probably in them and I just forgot. But some kind of demon knight that summons additional zombies and demons that an additional player can kind of take control of. I don't know if it's more like Dark Souls or just, you know, standard matchmaking, but it definitely seems interesting. Ubisoft. They're one of those companies that make you say, well, they sure do have a lot of games, but good news, folks, they got even more coming. Jason, why don't you tell us about what their E3 looked like? Uh, surprisingly, it was pretty light on announcements. Yeah, I figured with Ubisoft being as big as they are and how many uh, irons they usually have in the fire, it'd be a little bit busier. But it, it was pretty light. Uh, some of the main things that they kind of introduced, Rainbow Six Extraction, which is a spin-off game based on a like seasonal event for Rainbow Six Siege. It's basically zombies, maybe mutants, I'm not entirely sure. It looked like zombies, but then some of them were a little bit too ridiculous for me to just be like... Well, that was a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually aliens. It's aliens? Oh, wow. I mean, they do They are, They are. do just act like zombies. Like in the, the Rainbow Six uh, thing that they had a few years ago, they do just infect people. So they are just zombies, but they are technically alien. Uh, something interesting I saw while I was looking up more information for this game. Uh, it was originally going to be titled Quarantine, <laughs> but but then they changed their mind. Couldn't imagine why. On top of that, they talked a little bit more about Far Cry 6. They had Giancarlo Esposito on to kind of talk about his role in the new game, and the whole time that I was watching him talk about it, I was like, this guy is entirely too good to be in a Far Cry game. <laughs> he's up there. He's like talking about like famous dictators and conversations he had with 
uh, I'm not sure if it was a son or what, but just he was talking about that and comparing his character, like how he fits in with different. Uh, he was talking about how his character kind of fits in with different major, you know, evil world leaders throughout history. And it was really interesting that he put so much thought into a character that is just going to be in a Far Cry game. <laughs> but it says a lot about him as an actor, and I was really impressed by it. The other big announcement they had was a new Avatar game, Frontiers of Pandora. <laughs> I don't know why everyone keeps trying to push Avatar. Uh, like, it had one movie that came out in 2009, and they keep talking about sequels, but then they just disappear into the vapor. <laughs> You know, another big announcement they had though was a sequel to Mario vs. or Mario and Rabbids. I think the first one was called Kingdom Battle. This one is called Sparks of Hope. And from the looks of it, it's mostly just pulling in more stuff from Super Mario Galaxy. And it's also making a big change gameplay wise that I'm I'm I think will be really good. So first off, I just gotta say Mario and Rabbids is a way better game than it should be. It's actually like a genuinely good tactics like rpg <laughs> that being said this new game drops the grid system for characters just having like a set distance they can move in any direction on their turns i think that's going to open up a lot of doors i i could actually see this being like a genuinely very good strategy game <laughs> uh i did have one important note here for the mario plus rabbits game uh it was just uh rosalina rabbit uh and that, that's really all i had to say beyond that they kind of announced writer's republic which is a extreme sports game where you can play like several different sports like motocross, skydiving, that sort of thing. It looked pretty interesting. It, it reminded me a lot of Steep, which you might have seen a while back. They announced a Rocksmith subscription service. That'll go over well. They had Josh Rubin from College Humor directed a new movie for them based off of their VR game Werewolves Within, and it came out yesterday as of the time of recording this and then beyond that they just announced some dlc for watchdogs legion and uh, assassin's creed valhalla overall big day for ubisoft <laughs> they talked about a lot of stuff it was just weird how much of it was stuff we already knew about everything they announced except for avatar and mario i think was this year which i think is pretty interesting a lot of this E3 in general was focused on a lot shorter turnaround times than I'm used to. Not not a lot of games that are like two plus years out. I think it was mostly because it focused on smaller games. I, like all of the big stuff that people are really going to get excited for, if it hadn't already been announced, uh, it's for next year. Which I think is pretty much to be expected at this point. So Gearbox, they had their own conference this year, which was pretty small. Um, big one, though, that was also technically revealed at the uh, Summer Games uh, Fest was Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which is a spinoff of the uh, Tiny Tina's Assault on the Dragon Keep. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah, the DLC from Borderlands 2. It is a uh, sort of dragon, uh, Dungeons and Dragons themed spinoff game. Instead of, you know, having guns and stuff, like previous Borderlands games, you're going to have spells and uh, presumably swords and that sort of stuff. Still guns, though. Ah, never mind. Uh, I guess there are still guns. I just didn't see that. <laughs> but there is swords and sorcery. They have specified those things as well. So just imagine a Borderlands game, but Dungeons and Dragons themed. 
<laughs> it's similar, but legally distinct from Dungeons yeah. & Dragons themed. <laughs> so they technically announced that at the Summer Games Fest, and then talked about a little bit more at their own conference, and by talked about a little bit more, I mean pretty sure they didn't say anything new, just the same stuff again. They did some developer interviews, I think, but I don't think they showed off any gameplay or anything like that. The voice cast looks wild. Yeah, it's got though. Andy Samberg. Um, oh, there's another big name that I can't think of now. Wanda Sykes. Will Arnett. Ashley Birch is back as Tiny Tina. I can't wait to see, you know, Bojack Horseman and that garden, no- or uh, what is she from Vampirina that Wanda yeah. Sykes plays? Gargoyle. Yeah. <laughs> Xbox and their new best friend Bethesda really stole the show for E3 this year. There aren't generally winners at E3 in my mind. There's like there's one press conference it's like better than the others for sure, but there isn't normally this big of a margin. <laughs> I think that Xbox really went in knowing that generally speaking they're they're kind of uh, reprimanded for their lack of new software. So this time around they're just like well, fine, here's all of it. <laughs> because they had all sorts of wild new stuff, like Forza Horizon 5, which looks incredible. It's a big and most diverse new world the game's ever had. It takes place in Mexico this time around, and it really capitalizes on Mexico's incredibly diverse ecosystems and the different you know types of culture you see. Like, there are drastically different types of cities and towns that have 100% different you know racing based on how populated they are how many other cars there are how tight you know the streets are so that looks very very cool i'm kind of glad there's not seeming to be a gimmick this time around <laughs> because i didn't love the weather thing in the last game i thought it was really cool i didn't like i didn't like the fact that you were forced into the seasons based on like the actual week in real time Kind of glad that it doesn't seem like there's anything wild like that with this one. But, like, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic as the other four Forza Horizons all have been. Yeah, and the lighting and engine improvements they've made for this game, it's honestly insane looking based on the trailers. I feel like every time they make a new Forza game, I'm like, this is the most realistic game I've ever seen. <laughs> and then they make another one, and they just kind of one-up it. The only exception to that being... The difference between Forza Horizon 3 and 4. I feel like those two kind of looked exactly the yeah. same. But with the new like ray tracing and stuff they've been baking into all the games, it's honestly insane. Like, it looks photorealistic on a whole new level. Yeah, it's insane. Very excited for that. A game that is very near and dear to my heart that I know is often criticized by my co-host, Outer Worlds. It's got a sequel sequel on the way. That's literally all they told us. They swooped in and said, hey, Outer World 2, bah. No release date. It was it was more like they swooped in. They were like, action game trailers are stupid. And then they were like, here, let me break down every action game trailer for you. Felt like YouTube did 10 years ago. When everybody finally put together that there was just a, a formula for all these things. <laughs> And then at the end, they were like, oh yeah, this is Outer Worlds 2. <laughs> we're not just uh, up here making fun of games because... But yeah, we got Outer Worlds 2 on the way, no release date, no details whatsoever. Did they even say like, if it would be next year or anything? Nope, not a thing. No, they said the only thing they finished is the title. 
We also got a pretty in-depth look at Halo Infinite. I'm kind of hot or cold with the Halo series, but I really liked what I saw, and I really think this could be... This has the potential to be, like, the Halo that finally brings back a lot of people. I, for one, am extremely excited for Halo Infinite. You know, I've been a big fan of the series. Um, Halo 2 was one of the first games I ever played. Kind of holds a special place in my heart. And, like, after uh, sometime last year, me and Jordan played through all the Halo games. So, like, that kind of brought back that feeling of the Halo games and made me even more excited for Halo Infinite. Too. So, to see the... Uh, the changes they've made, which are mostly just graphical improvements, but looks 10 times better. Um, and then, you know, uh, multiplayer, keeping some of, like, the good changes from the Halo 4 and Halo 5, but kind of seems to be taking it back more towards the uh, classic Halo stuff. And the- kind of gave me Halo 3 vibes specifically. The biggest announcement, though, is just that the multiplayer is going to be free this time yeah, around. Not, like, free on Game Pass, like, free entirely. Which I actually, I can't decide how I feel about it. On the one hand, I think it's going to be, you know, a hit. I feel like everyone's going to be playing it. On the other hand, it's almost definitely going to have microtransactions in it. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, I imagine the campaign is not going to sell super well. I I don't see a lot of people, you know, kind of shelling out full price for the game just to get the campaign. Pain. One thing I should mention about what you said about microtransactions, they have said this will have, um, I don't remember exactly what they called them, but like there will be like paint job skins available to buy for uh, multiplayer, but they will there will be a battle pass. But the way it works seems interesting. So like I I, I think it's kind of similar to the Avengers battle pass, where like once you buy it, you just you have it forever, and you can buy it at any time after they release. It's not like a uh, Fortnite Battle Pass where, like, it's just available for that season, and after that season, it's gone. It, it's probably the same system they're using on the Master Chief Collection, if I had to guess. Except this time, you'll have to actually buy them. The The only thing that seems different is the Master Chief Collection, you can work on any of them at any time, but from the way they worded it, it seems like in Halo Infinite, you will only be able to work on one at a time. Mm. Sounds Sounds akin to the battle card system from Borderlands 3 where basically you pick one of a couple different battle passes to be working on at any given time. But still, like I, I'm excited to see Halo back in the limelight and I think this will be I think this will be a good one for sure. I think at bare minimum it's gonna offer some pretty intense combat or pretty intense multiplayer combat, which is really what the, the series is bred on. There's a couple other big ones that I didn't think I was going to be excited about until I saw them. Namely, Battlefield 2042, which I think has some of the coolest looking combat I've seen in a shooter. I think the maps look really, really cool, and the visuals are, you know, pretty astounding. (laughs) But it also just introduces some pretty crazy stuff. You know, it takes place 20-ish years in the future, and there's some pretty cool tech involved. There's some really cool scenes involving, like, weather effects, like, giant city with a huge tornado and like it it has some really really cool stuff it's definitely the first time i've even looked at a battlefield game and thought hmm i might play that i didn't really care for battlefield uh one or five but uh, they they were the like the world war one and world war two one so they weren't really the modern stuff that battlefield kind of went for i think for like their previous games but I played a good bit of Battlefield 4 and liked it, so I'm kind of excited to see Battlefield return to its roots. 
return to its roots of by the going future. to the future. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know how I feel about it. Honestly, it looks like they just stole stuff from better games and it looks like 2042 is going to be much better for it. Uh the weather effects that they've announced seem like they'll be really cool sometimes, but I, there's this whole focus in Battlefield, especially with the destructible environments where the players kind of have complete control of everything that's kind of happening. Uh, and adding something completely random like tornadoes seems a bit like a misstep to me. It'll be really interesting to see how it actually ends up playing out, but I'm just excited the helicopters are back. Now, another one that I didn't really know I was excited for until I saw it was Starfield, which is a game that Bethesda has been hinting at for a very, very long time. But not only did they show a good bit about the world and the story we also got a release date it's not happening but we have a release date (laughs) and uh i don't know it's one of those things where like the more i looked into it the more i was like okay i can get behind this like i definitely want to know more if nothing else i didn't think that they really revealed enough about it i mean they just showed off one pre-rendered trailer of a guy getting in a ship and taking off I'd really like to get an idea of how traveling in space is going to work. If it's going to be like Ratchet and Clank, where you get in your ship and teleport to another, you know, planet, or if it's going to be more like the Outer Wilds, you know, where you have complete control of your ship as you're flying through space. I could definitely see that being the case. And I think it's one of those things that I think will really be the make or break for the game is how much honest to God freedom you have in how you traverse but i've been saving the best for last i know a lot of people out there are like yay halo or yay forza horizon just because they're some of the best games on the xbox console but that's not why i'm here psychonauts 2 (laughs) y'all it's only two months away this is a game i've been waiting for since i believe 2005 this is oh everything i've seen about it looks so cool it, it has a very similar place in my heart to Ratchet and Clank. It's just Ratchet and Clank where they kept turning the games out. Psychonauts, they gave us one, and then we're just like, well, that's it. Until, you know, 15 plus years later. And they are finally giving With us With Psychonauts, they were like, here's just a masterpiece of action platforming. Puzzle solving. And then they were like, alright, see you never. <laughs> and it even ends with sequel bait, I'm fairly certain. The only update we've gotten since then was a VR game that came out, I think it was just on PlayStation VR a few years ago. I didn't even know that existed. Yep, but we got Psychonauts 2, August 25th, Game Pass Day 1, everything about it sounds great. One more thing from the Xbox conference that I I know Jordan hadn't really planned on talking about, though. Uh, We have Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life. A Pirates of the Caribbean-themed expansion for Sea of Thieves? It looks pretty cool, honestly. Just a whole bunch of new stuff with Jack Sparrow and the guy that hangs out with Jack Sparrow. Davy Jones is up in there. Yeah. We got Squid Boy. We got Jack Sparrow. Presumably, you're going to be able to get the the Black Pearl. It'd be... There's no way that they're not adding the Black Pearl, right? I think it, it's got to be in there in some way. Can't imagine making a pirate game where you get to, you know, just drive any ship that you see and then just being like, we're putting no black pearl in there. 
Next up, another big conference that we had was Square Enix or Square Enix. I can never really figure out how you're supposed to pronounce it, but they came in with a whole bunch of remasters. <laughs> <laughs> They're releasing all of the first six Final Fantasy games in what they call the Pixel Remaster, which they're calling an Ultimate 2D Pixel Remaster of the first six games for PC and mobile. And they're going to release each one individually. They announced some more DLC for Avengers, which is, first and foremost, a bunch of Hawkeye stuff that nobody really cares about. (laughs) And then they also revealed Black Panther, which I don't know if I'm going to come back to play the Black Panther DLC, but I'm a lot more likely to come play that than I am to play Hawkeye DLC. (laughs) Man, Avengers was such a disappointing game. Every time I think about it, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, Avengers is rough. I don't know why they're not doing more to kind of fix it. I don't know what they could do at this point, though. You know, speaking of live service co-op games, Platinum Games announced Babylon's Fall, which is in a similar vein. But presumably, since it's Platinum, it's at least going to have better combat than Avengers had. So maybe that'll be enough to hold it up. I personally think anybody making a live service game is kind of taking a huge misstep at the moment. It's just the infrastructure is not there. It's hard to make a game that actually plays well that works on that kind of model. Because everything needs to be so cookie cutter. You know, you need to be able to just drop it in wherever it goes. It just kind of... I will say... I think it takes the focus away from good content creation. What were you saying? I was just saying, Genshin Impact has surprised me. It's it's sort of that free-to-play model, but still doesn't really compromise its good core gameplay in the process so maybe babylon's fall will do the same but the fact that it's like advertising itself as live service is a bit weird it just seems like that shouldn't be such a forward aspect (laughs) hard to say square enix did have two big announcements though that everyone's kind of been talking about since they made them the first of which that i'm going to get into is stranger of paradise final fantasy origins which is their new Souls-like game that takes place before the first Final Fantasy. Y'all, the trailer they showed off was rough. It was incredibly cringy. Honestly, kind of hard to watch, with just how many times the main character said Chaos. Seems like he's going to be breaking into some giant castle to destroy Chaos. And like, I love Final Fantasy. I'm even excited about these 2D remakes but there was nothing about this game that seemed appealing to me at all. I think the combat looked fun. I don't know, it just, everything about it just seemed like it was totally not what I want from the Final Fantasy series. I'm gonna keep my eye on it. I'm hoping this is just a very bad first showing for it, and maybe as they move forward they'll kind of pick up the ball a little bit more and show off some more things that aren't just, uh... A guy in a gruff voice saying chaos. (laughs) Their other big announcement they made was for Guardians of the Galaxy, which is their new single-player action game. It looked pretty similar to Avengers, gameplay-wise. I'm really hoping that it's just a coincidence that they look so similar and that it doesn't play the same. Or use the same engine specifically. Yeah. I I was it's coming from Eidos Montreal, which is the same company that made the Deus Ex games. Uh, which I, at least with Human Revolution, I at least adore those two games. I thought they were incredibly fun to play, and they really worked in the Choices Matter stuff, uh, especially the first one. 
with, you know, how you play can kind of affect how the game goes. And then on top of that, you get to make big decisions that kind of affect the branching narrative. Thought that was really interesting. Uh, you only play as Star-Lord in this one. I guess they looked at Avengers and they were like, the problem that everyone has with this game is clearly that there's too many people to play as. I'm thinking it's going to be sort of akin to like a Mass Effect style thing where you only play as one character, but you can kind of give commands to the rest of your party as you go. Like if you look at the HUD while you're playing, you have like the D-pad with each of the other members of the Guardians like assigned to a button. So I'm assuming that means like you can give different commands based on different things but i mean it seems interesting yeah uh, the one big thing is that since it's not a live service game i'm hoping they'll be able to kind of work in some more unique set pieces into it at least and maybe on top of that clean up the combat from what you see in avengers i mean there's avengers was still not great but the campaign was all right it was mostly just the uh the live service like in-game post-game, whatever you want to call it, part that was garbage. I'm I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that Avengers had some good individual set pieces. There are definitely some memorable scenes. I think getting around some of the maps in the story was interesting, but it was really just the same thing over and over. It was just walk from one location where it's a battle arena to another battle arena. I think before I got into the live service stuff at the end, it just kind of felt more varied before I kind of realized, like, oh, everything is exactly the same after you finish it, except there's less exploration to do. Yeah. They followed up the Square Enix. Uh, well, they didn't really follow up. They opened the day after. This is day two of their giant E3 with <laughs> an hour-long ad for Verizon. I have no idea why. <laughs> really the height of E3. Such a weird decision. It's not like anybody's going to see an E3 conference and be like, all right, it's time for me to switch cell phone car carriers. We're going to get another Verizon and Avengers promotional thing. <laughs> I'm just imagining it was just a Verizon spokesperson being like, Verizon's the best network to play uh, Final Fantasy the First Soldier. <laughs> So Capcom delivers constant hits. Resident Evil, Monster Hunter, Street Fighter. They got some really great properties that they know that fans love, and they know how to sell them. So that's why they spent a huge chunk of their conference talking about the game The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, <laughs> a new Phoenix Wright-esque game where you're basically solving mysteries in a courtroom and stuff. And if that's your kind of game, more power to you. But I don't know why Capcom was like, this is the highlight. Look, man, have you played the Ace Attorney games? I have not. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're great. I, I agree that it was a really weird decision to spend so much of the time just kind of talking about Ace Attorney. <laughs> Honestly, in terms of like puzzle solving games and then the whole courtroom aspect, they're really fun. Uh, I highly recommend you give them a chance. I'm pretty excited for Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. I've only played a couple of the Ace Attorney games. Uh, I bought the collection on Steam whenever it released and I had a pretty good time with it. And this looks like more of the same, but in Victorian era Britain and Japan, apparently. 
But they did still give us some more information about the big properties as well. Um, we got a good bit of new information about Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin, uh, which is a game that I'm definitely planning to check out. If you're unfamiliar, it is essentially a Pokemon battle system, but in the Monster Hunter world. They also announced a demo is coming that will be just the beginning of the game and progress will carry over to the full game. So it's def definitely one that I'm keeping an eye on personally. They also announced a little bit of new content for Monster Hunter Rise, uh, some new monsters to fight, uh, some crossovers with other Monster Hunter properties. Now, for me, one of the big things I was looking forward to was the inevitable announcement of the Resident Evil 4 remaster, which, of course, didn't happen. <laughs> but we did get some news on Reverse, the Resident Evil multiplayer game that is coming in July, and has some cool stuff, you know, playing as Leon, Chris, other important characters from the story. But most notably, they announced that DLC is coming for the very recent Resident Evil Village. However, that's all the information they gave us. It was pretty funny. It was just a screen that popped up and said, Additional downloadable content is coming for Resident Evil Village. That's it. No release date. No suggestion of what content will be included whatsoever. It's kind of wild. And don't get me wrong. The recent Resident Evil games are fantastic. I plan to play whatever the DLC is. But it's just weird for them to be like, It's coming. Take our word for it. <laughs> Nintendo on uh, day day three or whatever, uh, days kind of fly by when you have nothing to do anymore. Anyways, so Nintendo, they had their big conference. They started off pretty well uh, with a new Smash Bros. character, Kaiuza Mishima from Tekken, who will play pretty much just like a Tekken character. You know, he'll have tons of combo moves to do. I guess he'd be pretty similar to Ryu or Terry. And then there was Mario Party All-Star, Superstars, sorry, not All-Stars. It'll have five boards from the Nintendo 64 games. It'll online play at launch and over 100 mini games. We got the announcement of the new WarriorWare Get It Together, um, which is essentially just a new WarriorWare game. You know, tons of mini games, maybe co-op focused. Saying essentially a new WarioWare game means nothing because all the games are different entirely they're they're all like mini game collections look man i'm going by your note that just says more warrior wear what do you expect <laughs> me to do so let me let me talk about this one a little bit then because i am i am what you would call a warrior wear connoisseur so the warrior wear games are collections of mini games and essentially every game has a collection of characters when you pick a character, you get you play a bunch of mini games centered around that character. It seems like they're keeping a lot of things intact, but this time around, there are two big changes. One, the different characters will inform how the mini games play instead of informing what mini games there are. And also, there's a big emphasis on both players being able to control separate, distinct characters this time around. There has been multiplayer stuff in the past in the WarioWare games, but generally speaking, you're just each playing half of a minigame. Whereas this time around, you actually control your character and you react to the games differently based on that character. I think that if you are a fan of WarioWare, this is going to be a hit as they all have been. Even the ones with bad gimmicks like motion control were still good. Hey, so like, I was about to say, the WarioWare for the Wii is my favorite WarioWare game. 
it's honestly, in terms of like working motion controls into a game, it's perfect. It, it might be my favorite Wii game. I'm actually thinking of that really awful Game Boy Advance one, which was motion controlled. <laughs> that had like the rumble pack oh, or the uh, gyroscope oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, even that was fun, and that was like mechanical garbage. <laughs> so like, the WarioWare games are great if you like mini games and like the absurdist humor of WarioWare and, and everything. Very polarizing game, I would say, though. One of the biggest announcements from the Nintendo section was um, the announcement of the first new 2D Metroid game in nearly 20 years, uh, Metroid Dread, uh, which has also been rumored for many years, too. So it's essentially, uh, is it, it seems for the most part similar to normal uh, Metroid games, except there is a, what seems to be, unkillable robot following you around for the entire time. It just comes to you, you just got run. I'm not 100% sure what to expect out of it. It definitely seems to be darker than, you know, what you'd really expect from a Metroid game. I mean, they've always had, like, a darker tone in terms of Nintendo games. But this one almost has, like, a horror feel to it. Or at least that's how the trailer's kind of portrayed. There's this weird robot following Samus around that seems like it's unstoppable. I'm thinking it's going to be something similar to, like, Mr. X in the uh, the remake of Resident Evil 2. That was kind of the vibe I got. It looked really cool, though. I'm calling it here, folks. The big robot guy, it's going to be another bounty hunter like Samus. I'm calling it here. Just a, just a theory. See, if we're going into theories, my theory is that she's breaking into, like, an abandoned robotics lab. And that robot like, killed all the other scientists that work there. It's like an AI type thing. See, my theory is, um... Actually, I don't, I don't have a theory. Anyways. Well, I guess the, that's it for Nintendo, guys. Nothing else happened. Anyways, near the end of, uh... Wow, Jackson just blew off your joke like that. Can you believe it? It's like he has something important to talk about, but there was nothing else announced at the entire Nintendo press conference. Yep, E3's over, guys. That was all of it. Oh, Jackson, I know what you were trying to talk about. You were going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy coming to Switch via the cloud, right? Yeah, it's getting a cloud release. Um, yeah. Anyways, near the end of their conference, there was an entire section that was devoted to Legend of Zelda. They started off by showing some more stuff for Skyward Sword Remake, which is coming out uh, like middle of next month. They revealed the Legend of Zelda Game of Watch handheld, which comes out uh, November of this year. Honestly, pretty excited for that. It's going to have the original Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda 2, Adventures of Link, and Link's Awakening. The big thing, though, was two years after it was first announced, they showed off and talked more about the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel. And I'm real excited for that. They showed a little bit of gameplay. There's a lot of uh, air stuff now. There are, like, floating islands uh throughout Hyrule, so a lot more verticality to it. At one point, even Hyrule Castle itself floated into yeah, the air. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, something I thought was really notable about the trailer is that it didn't show Link's face a single time. I don't know if that's intentional or just kind of like a coincidence, like all the scenes they picked 
didn't have his face, but it, it did seem kind of weird that, I, maybe it's just me, but to me it felt like they were going out of their way to not show his face. I never really thought about it until I read a bunch of stuff of people saying stuff after it, and then I forgot about it again until now. He also has a new haircut. I'm thinking it's not late. He also has a new arm. Uh, it seems instead of having a Sheikah tablet, you now have just a Sheikah arm? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this, though. Breath of the Wild is one of my favorite games of all time. I just, I absolutely loved it. Even though I said earlier, Halo 2 was, like, my first game. I didn't, like, really, uh, start playing games, like, a whole lot until about the time Breath of the Wild came out. So it was kind of, like, my first big game. So, you know, a sequel to that is kind of important to me. So, yeah, really excited for that when it uh, releases sometime in 2022. Jackson just tried to say that he's only played video games for four years. No, I'm saying, like, I haven't been super... Jackson, you're 17. I'm saying I haven't been, like, super into video games since, like, four years. We've like, been I playing still, video like, games together for, them. like, your entire life. Look, I don't... <laughs> it's fine. Let it ride. I'll just... This episode's already gone so long, y'all. Okay, so that that hits all the high notes for all of E3, but let's recap it real fast. What are the three things that were announced or expanded upon that you guys are the most excited about after E3? Jackson, go. Uh, well, first off... Rapid fire, quick, go! <laughs> Halo, Halo Infinite. Real excited for Halo Infinite. Uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Honestly, um, that's honestly uh, kind of it. You know, uh, Starfield. Let's put that in there. It's sci-fi. It's the Bethesda-style <laughs> RPG. So you know, that's my third. Uh, Jason. Jason, go. All right. Go, go. I gotta say, I'm really excited for Forza Horizon Five. I really like Starfield, and I really like Psychonauts. That's all Xbox. So I also feel like I want to just mention Metroid Dread. So that's four things. Dang, you cheated. Yeah, for me, it's got to be... Uh, Metroid Dread was definitely the biggest surprise hit. That wasn't one I was even thinking about, but I'm ecstatic about now. Uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, I think, could be a really, really good return to form for Borderlands if it's done even close to right. And then I guess if I had to go with a third specifically, it would be Forza Horizon 5. I think that the first four are all genuinely masterpieces, and I, I do not expect any different from this game. But yeah, overall, not as big as a lot of E3s in the past, but still had some really notable stuff in the mix there. And I enjoyed getting involved with the hype of it, even if I got burnt out on actually watching the uh, the press conferences real fast. Okay, well, folks, we've already gone on for what feels like an eternity. Oh, and since it was kind of basically just a footnote on E3, I feel like we should mention the Dark Pictures anthology, House of Ashes. That's it. That's all we're going to say. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But we hope you've enjoyed the episode. We appreciate you listening through all of our ramblings. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to at TBMcast on Twitter, at Totally Biased Media on Instagram, or you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you reach out with your thoughts on the show, your reviews for upcoming or new release games and shows and movies and everything. And if you have any suggestions for how we could do things differently, you know, please send them our way. We're happy to engage however we can. But for now, that is the end of episode 14 of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. 
I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you, you just everybody. felt the bias. Dang it, I keep forgetting that. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.